Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I'm going to be with you for an extended period of time. Thank you. I remember when, uh, when Sam rang me and said, you know, would you be willing to come? Uh, it was just interesting for me. Um, you know, I thought about a number of things. Um, I thought, what's my wife going to say? <laughs> that was the first thing. Unbelievably, she was up for it. But I tell you, there's probably three things that were really prominent in my mind. One was the destiny of this city. I just feel like, what a name, Christchurch. I just love that name. You know, I just believe there is great destiny in this city. The second thing was this church. I've got, I've got a great love in my heart for this church. I want you to know that. I, I, I just believe that God is going to use you significantly. And uh, the third thing is um, my love for John and Kieran. And so those things put together, in a way it was easy for me to make the decision. God had kind of prepared me because before Christmas, Jackie and I took three months off and uh, we went away to the States and unbelievably our church grew. I say unbelievably, but not really. It's, 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 a, it's a really interesting thing when God basically sends you the message, I can do it without you. It's a very humbling experience. Very humbling. You know, and I, I, I kind of came back to the church. Did anyone miss me? You know, and a few people put their arms around me and said, oh yeah, we missed you. And we're doing really well. And it gave me confidence that God is bigger than all of us. He's bigger than all of our situations. He's bigger than all of our circumstances. And the fact is, He doesn't partner with us because He has to. He partners with us because He chooses to. And, and I just love that about the nature of God. And so saying yes to coming here for this extended period, it's, it's, in a way it's been easy for me because I've got confidence in our church, confidence in the team, confidence in our God. That, that he's bigger than all of us. And so uh, for the period that I'm here with you, it's, it's just a great honour to serve you. That's my heart. That's why I'm coming here. Uh, I've come to see where I can add strength to what you're already doing so well. And uh, you are a great church. My church in London bring you an amazing greeting. And they say hi to you. And they, they, they did say, tell them to take care of me. But you're doing that already. So I've got no worries there. So, uh, so, you know, we're in this together. Isn't that good? We're in this together. And so we're, in God, we'll find a way through. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, yeah, we're going to hopefully do good. And uh, I'll need you back at the end. Thank you. Super. Do I have a timer going at all? Because I'm not good with time. I need to warn you. I have a reputation amongst Equippers Churches for being the longest speaker in history of Equippers Churches. In fact, I was in Germany one time with Bruce and speaking at a conference with Jürgen Eisen. And uh, Bruce was there. And uh, I went an hour and 40 minutes. And uh, some of you are shocked about that. I promise not to do that today. 
uh, an hour and 40 minutes, and it was good. <laughs> that, that was the shocking thing. Uh, it was good, but, but, you know, when you get a reputation for being a long speaker, I, so there's no, there's no time in coming up here, okay. So on the front row, just do something like that, will you? Or five, a warning, that would be so helpful for me. Okay. Um, here's a simple phrase I want to give you that's the title of my message, and it's this, stay focused. Stay focused. If you, if you forget everything else about the message today, just, just, just remember that. How many of you know, uh, have you ever pulled an iPhone out and you try to take a picture and it's got that automatic zoom in, you know, for the focus? And you've got to get the little, you've got to get the little yellow box on the right place. Now, now, there's a whole generation here who know exactly what I'm talking about and there's a generation, my generation, who are thinking, what the heck is he on about right now? But on, on an iPhone, there's a little yellow box, and once you get the box in the right place, it all goes into focus. Have you seen that? You know what I'm talking about? And depending on where the little yellow box goes depends on what you're focused on. And, and you're like that too. Depending on what you choose to zoom in on will, depend, will, will be dependent on what you focus in on. And here's the thing. You can be aware of everything else around... But if it's out of focus, then it doesn't have the same impact on you it should do when you focus on it. So so when you're going through a a difficulty, if you focus on the wrong thing, then that is the thing that becomes clear to you. And so you use language, I can see this really clearly. Sure you can. That's what you're focused on. And everything else is kind of out of focus, so it's not clear. So the key thing is, is, is we've got to get the focus right. If you get the focus wrong, you get clarity, but you've got clarity on the wrong thing. I encounter this all the time when I'm talking to people. They'll just explain really clearly what the problem is. And I said, your problem is not clarity, your problem is focus. You've explained clearly, this is the problem with my wife, this is the problem with my husband, this is the problem with my church, this is the problem with my boss. They've got real clarity. But I say, hey, let's change the focus and then the clarity will shift. Do you get this? Oh, we're doing good. Let me show you, um, uh, well, let me read to you some text first and then I'll show you a picture. Therefore, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore also, ah, the timer came up. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Okay, I'm going to just stop there for a moment. Let me show you a picture of my son. Oh, there he is. That is a place called John O'Groats. And you know where John O'Groats is? Yeah, a few of you do. So if you go to the furthest part of the UK, it's Scotland. And if you go to the furthest part of Scotland, the bit that sticks out the furthest, it's called John O'Groats. And my insane son decided to ride from our house which is right in the south of England, in London, all the way to John O'Groats. I think it took him a week, maybe a week or 10 days, something like that. And uh, there he is 
you know, under the uh, banner there, taking a picture. Everyone wanted to have a picture with him, by the way, all the tourists that were there. They all wanted a picture with this guy, what he'd achieved. He did it for charity, raised a few thousand pounds. It was really brilliant. Here's the thing. If you look at his gear, he's stripped down everything, and he's, he wears these sort of lycra, you know, trousers. Good look on him, not on me. He's got this lycra vest. He's got this windsheeter that costs about £1,000 because it's really, really light and really, really, you know, windbreaker. The bike he's riding is worth 4000 New Zealand dollars. And uh, you can pick it up like this. Everything about it was about getting rid of the excess in order to achieve the goal. And here it says if we're going to run this race... We've got to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Got that? Now, now, dealing with sin is, is kind of tricky. Everyone has these kind of besetting sins. That's, that's, that's the sort of thing where we come under conviction and we have to repent and we have to deal with our hearts. And we all know and understand that process. But dealing with every weight, how many of you know dealing with weight is a tricky thing? Yeah, turn to your neighbor and said, Peter looks trim today. <laughs> I'm working on it. Not bad for 62. A little puffy around here, but still. You know why we grow beards? They hide a multitude of chins. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Laying aside every weight, laying aside sin, yeah, we come under conviction, but laying aside weight, that's, that's a little more tricky. I'll tell you why, because weight is not about things that are wrong in your life, they're just about things that will hinder your race. And laying aside weight, you, you'll, you'll never decide what is a weight until you decide what is the goal. Once you understand the purpose, once you understand the goal, once you understand where is it we're going, then it's a lot easier to determine what's going to be a weight. Until you get that right, until you get the focus right, until you know what it is you're going for, it's very hard to know what becomes a weight. You know, I, sometimes when I'm talking to, uh, we've got a whole group of young adults in our, in our church, and, you know, the, the question is, um, you know, like in relationships, there's a number of questions that are really inappropriate, but they ask them anyway. Boys and girls, how far can I go? You know, how far can you go? Well, if there's a cliff, do you want to go to the edge? Do you, do you want to look down 600 feet? To the, is that where you want to go? Do, do you want to go there? Because you can do that. But all you need is a little wind in the wrong direction, and you could go over. So, so one of the questions is, how far can I go? It's not a very helpful question, actually. A better question is, how can I live honorably? Woo, that's a good question. Uh, and, and then another question is, is uh, can I date an unbeliever? If a believer, can I date an unbeliever? And I go, well, yeah, you can. You can. But you know what? Tell me what your goal is. Tell me what your purpose in life is, because that could become a weight. That could become a distraction. That could take you away from the destiny that God has for you. 
And so, you know, often we're asking questions up here when we should be asking questions down here. What's your ultimate goal? What's your ultimate destiny? What's the ultimate thing that you're going for? If you get that focus right, you see, it says here that we've got to run a race with endurance that's set before us, looking unto Jesus. Let's finish this. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Do you see he had a clear goal? There was something set before Jesus that he could see. Now, the writer here doesn't unpack it, but we know from other parts of Scripture that that goal was about seeing people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation around the throne of God. That's the fulfillment there that we read in the book of Revelation. Jesus wanted to bring, use the language of Romans 8, many sons into glory. He had a goal that he would redeem humanity and populate heaven with people who are on the way to hell. He would redeem, he would buy back, he would rescue, he would save. And that was a clear, clear focus for Jesus. It was his joy set before him. In other words, when he thought about that moment while he was in the Garden of, Eden, uh, Garden of Gethsemane, when he was under pressure, when, when it seemed like all hell was coming against him, deep in his spirit there was a focus that was on the future. This is where I'm going. This is what's going to be achieved. And it brought joy to his heart. Even in moments of great sorrow. It was a joy set before him. In other words, right now it feels like hell. But I know there's a joy waiting for me. You see, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. <laughs> it comes, it's coming. You might be going through a situation right now where you don't feel very joyful. Well, I'm telling you, there's joy in the future. If you get your focus right. If like Jesus, you focus on the right thing. And so it says here, it says he endured the cross and despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Okay, let, let, me, let me just sort of outline a few things here. Uh, that I think is going to help us. The first thing is this. There's a whole stadium of people watching you right now. A great cloud of witnesses in heaven. Can you imagine that? I, I, I don't know. In my head, I picture it like this. I think of one of the biggest stadiums that you have in your country. And it's just surrounded with people. And there's in the middle, instead of a playing field, there's a window into earth. There's a window into earth to see the church around the world in different places. And, and there's people who've gone on before, and they're sort of asking the question up there, how's it going in Christ church? And I just, I just feel like the Holy Spirit says, well, let's see. Let's see what the church, let's see how they're doing in Christ church. And there's this great cloud of witnesses. And every time the church achieves something, every time somebody gets saved, and the angels start to sing according to Luke 15, there's more joy in heaven over one person who repents than 99 who don't need. I believe that crowd starts to cheer. It's like a goal. Only there isn't an east wind and a west wing where, where, where they're competing with one another. Everybody's cheering for the same team. They're cheering on the church. They're cheering on people like you and I. And I just, I just want to say, 
that we're doing this before an audience. We're doing it before God. We're doing it before the holy angels. When Paul commissioned Timothy, he said, I charge you before God and his elect angels. There's an audience. There's a whole group there who are invisible to us right now, but they see and perceive what's going on in the church. And as they look on, we we get choices to make. We have to lay aside stuff. Number one, we have to run with endurance. Number two, and we have to look at Jesus. You know, in the uh, message version of the Bible, they're looking to Jesus, phrases it like this, keep your eyes on Jesus, study how he did it. Study how he did it. Let's talk about the Jesus way. The first thing is this. We've already said it. Jesus had a clear goal. He never lost sight of where he was headed. I want to say to us this morning, never lose sight of where you're headed. Never lose sight of where you're headed. We, We all go through difficult seasons in life. And I want to say to you, difficulty is always a season. You know, it's never meant to be difficult every day, every week, every month, every year for the rest of your life, then you die. If that has defined your life up to now, you need help. We all have seasons of difficulty. We all go through trials. There's always periods we have to endure. But it should be punctuated with joy deliverance, healing, success, achievement, advancement, all those things should be part of the package too. And I want to say to you, come on, don't lose your focus. Jesus didn't get involved in a whole lot of things that could have distracted him. You know, when my son was preparing for this, I said, what are you going to do to prepare for this this journey to John O'Groats? He said, well, I, I, I just need to ride. That's what I need to do. And so he would come home from work, and for two hours a day, he would just be riding, riding, riding. And I just, you know, and sometimes he'd go out in the worst kind of weather. I said, you're going out today? He said, yeah, I can't guarantee the weather when I'm going on this journey. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to go out. Every single one of us needs to have the right focus in our life, and we need to prepare in the right kind of way. Jesus laid aside every weight. Now, now for Jesus, that meant that, that he had to do things and say things to people that were sometimes uncomfortable. When his mother and brothers came to see him, they, they came to Jesus. Your mother's outside and would like to see you. Now, now, I want you to know, I have an Italian mother. If I had given the answer Jesus gave, I would be in big trouble. You know, Jesus turns around and he says, who is my mother? Who's my What's he doing? He's laying aside a weight. Sometimes the people closest to us can be the people who hinder us. When I was called to go to Bible college, I was 22 years of age. I was studying civil engineering at Manchester University. I was on a fast-track program. It was a three-year course. Almost every civil engineering program at that time was four years. I was on a fast-track program, Manchester University. I was studying 35 hours a week. It was absolutely intense. I had nine months to go to finish my degree. I was going to be a civil engineer, and then I met the Lord. And the Lord said to me, I want you to go to Bible college. I said, fine, Lord, I'll do that in nine months. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, you do it now. Ooh. 
Uh, I said, well, that's going to cause a few problems. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, that's going to let you shed weight. That's going to hinder your call. I thought, oh, man. I remember going home to tell my mother and father, who were not saved, not believers. Guess how well that went down. I remember I had to, the pressure got so bad at home. You know, my mother would just literally cry in the living room and say, you're killing me, you're disappointing your father. Everything we've done for you, we've sacrificed for you over all the years. I mean, the guilt was unbelievable. I remember one morning I left home to go to Bible college and I left in the clothes I was wearing. I turned up to Bible college, the first day of Bible college, and they said, where's your cases, everything? I said, this is it. I'm just here. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. My my family are not behind this. I'm all alone. I'm just there. I stood on the doorstep and just cried. I was 22 years of age. You believe that? And uh, and then from then on, it was like just amazing loneliness that I had to deal with. And there I was, 22 years of age, and it got worse. I'd been at Bible college for two months and I was driving a car, driving a friend back to Surrey and I was in a serious car crash. I got thrown out of the car. I ended up in hospital and doctors were saying, well, we're not sure he's going to walk again. So I've left university. I've got rejected by my family and now I'm in hospital. And I'm on my back and they don't know if I'm going to walk again. I'm 22 years of age. And I remember the principal coming to visit me in Bible college and saying, uh, you know, Peter, how are you doing? And I said, hmm, it's challenging. (laughs) You know, I wanted to say something else. (laughs) I was very restrained. He said, what can we do to help you? I said, get me all the messages from Bible college. Bring them down to me. In those days, we had tape players. Ask your mum or your dad about that. (laughs) So I had a cassette recorder and a tape player and I had headphones and for four or five hours a day, I would just listen to all the classes I, would, I was missing. Four or five hours a day, I would just listen to the Word of God. After a week of listening to the Word of God, I was lying in this bed. I thought, I am not going to stay here for the rest of my life. God has a destiny for me. God has a purpose for me. I refuse to accept this. And, uh, and I was 22 years of age. I was fit. I know that's hard to believe. Use your imagination. I was, uh, I was actually a black belt in martial arts at that time, so I was, I was a really fit guy. I had good upper body strength, and I had a cage over my bed. So I grabbed hold of this cage that was over my bed, and I literally pulled myself up with my upper body strength. I pulled myself up, and I threw my legs over the side of the bed. And I thought, I'm going to walk in Jesus' name. I remember it was like Frankenstein. <laughs> it was like this. <laughs> I'm going to walk... In Jesus' name, (laughs) I'm going to walk. Everything was in agony. Everything was in agony. Everything from the waist down was just absolute sheer pain. And I I remember walking to the middle of of the hospital floor and all the people in all the other beds saying, what are you doing? Get back to bed. You must be crazy. I said, I'm not staying in that bed. And then I realized I'd run out of energy. I'm right in the middle of the hospital floor and I thought, oh, (laughs) this was perhaps not such a great idea. 
And three nurses had to carry me. They came, they, they rescued me and carried me back to bed. I spent another week in bed. Then after a week of being in bed, I was finally discharged from the hospital with walking sticks and everything. It took me a year to learn to walk again. It took me 12 months to learn to walk again. All I could do, people used to drive me to Bible college. I'd sit in classes. I'd be driven home. I'd be lying on a bed most of the time. It took me six months to learn to walk 100 yards. Six months before I could walk 100 yards. And you know what? People, people came to visit me when I was in hospital, Christians, and said, well, you know why this is happening, don't you? Because you've dishonored your mother and father. And you left university. And you've been disobedient. It's like, oh, 22 years of age. And I remember just saying to the Lord, Lord, did I dishonor my parents? Did I, did, I, did I do something wrong here? Are you punishing me? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, no, this is the enemy who hates your destiny. It's the enemy who hates your destiny. And I just, it was like two words, stay focused. Stay focused. And I just, I thought, I'm going to stay focused. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to justify myself. I'm not going to be uh, proud in this situation. I'm just going to stay humble. You know why? Because God gives grace to the... If you need grace in your life, get low. Get humble. If, If you're not humble, you know what? God resists the... Who wants that in their life? He's big. I don't want to fight with him. I don't want, you know, imagine God's, you know, you're trying to go forward in life and God's hand just goes on your head and says, huh, I'm just going to keep you there for a bit. I'm going to resist you. Guess who's going to win that? You're not going to go anywhere till you get humble. And I just thought, Lord, I'm going to stay humble. I'm going to position my heart in humility, but I'm going to step out in obedience. They're the two greatest assets you can ever have as a believer, a humble heart and an obedient will. That's your greatest asset as a believer. A humble heart and an obedient will. A surrendered will to him. Jesus had to lay aside family. I felt like God was calling me to lay aside family. Now, I was 22 years of age. I wasn't 15, running away from home. I was 22. I was a man. I was forging my own way in life. My parents wanted to control me. They were, no, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. There comes a point where you have to stand up to your parents and say, look, this is what God has put on my life. I'm sorry. I love you. Thank you for every sacrifice you've made. But I'm going to make the same sacrifice for my children. And uh, I'm going to pursue what God has called me to do. Do you know, the weird thing was, at the age of 38, God called me to go back to university. I started laughing. I said, God, I've got six kids. You want me to go back to university? You're joking, right? He said, no, it's going to be part of your destiny. I was, I, was, I was hesitating the whole thing, and I went into a meeting where there was a guy called Michael Sullivan. He was one of the Kansas City prophets at that time. Again, ask your grandparents. <laughs> Michael Sullivan was in this meeting. He looked at me as I walked through the door, and he said, I have a word from the Lord for that man. I just walked through the door into the meeting. He just looked straight at me. I thought, oh, boy, here we go. I'm in trouble again. And he said this, he said, God has called you to leave your role of leadership in order to add an academic dimension to your ministry, and then he's going to relaunch you. I thought, that's pretty accurate. That's pretty on the money. And I, and, I, and I thought, how am I going to do this? Wife, six kids, how's that going to happen? 
And a friend of mine came to me, a businessman. He said, Peter, he said, the Lord has spoken to me. I'm going to pay for you to go to university. 10,000 pounds. 10,000 pounds. This was back in 1996. Five. <laughs> Do you know, I went and told my wife. I said, guess what? Ian's come and he said he's going to pay £10,000 for me to go to university. I thought she'd say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I thought she'd say, that's fantastic. You know what she said? Well, if you're doing that, I want a new kitchen. (laughs) All the women in the room go, amen. All the men go, typical. You know what? I went back to the Lord in prayer and I said, Lord... You've offered me 10. Can you make it 11 so I can keep my wife happy? <laughs> Two weeks later, I got a check for 1,000 pounds. We didn't talk to anybody. I didn't tell anybody. Somebody gave me a check for 1,000 pounds. My wife got a new kitchen. I got my master's degree. <laughs> Thank you. Now, here's the thing. When I finally graduated at the age of 40... <clears throat> My father came to my graduation. Uh, He stood there. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, Dad, I'm sorry it took so long. But I did graduate. And he said, son, looking back, I can see you made the right decisions. Thank you for having the courage to do it. Do you know how good that felt? Do you know how good that felt? You know why? Because right at the beginning, I stayed focused. Was it hard? It was insanely hard at times. And sometimes you have to lay aside weight. Sometimes there's the relationships in your life that want to control you in order to keep you from your destiny. Come on, sometimes you've got to let go of those relationships. It's not that they're bad. It's not that they're evil. It's just they won't help you fulfill the call on your life. Sometimes there's things that you're doing. There's habits you developed. You know, when I went and did my master's degree, I, sa- I said to Jackie, and you, you, you all know how much I love movies, right? I'm a real movie buff. I love movies. And um, during that time of going to university to study, I just said to my, they said to me, you're going to need to give yourself about 20 hours a week of study. 20 hours a week. You know what I did? I cut out TV and movies. The, the whole time I was at university, I think I watched three movies. You know what I was doing instead of watching movies or TVs? I was reading books. I was reading books. You can't add to your life without taking away. See, I I meet loads of people and all they're doing is they're adding, they're adding, they're adding. And then they say, I'm stressed, pray for me. Well, you keep adding. You keep adding. Take away a few things. What has become a weight? What was good for a season, but now it's become a weight? It's just holding you back. Come on. Make a decision, I'm going to let it go. You've got to let go of the weights in your life. Here's the second thing. He endured the cross. He endured the cross. Do you know there's just some things in life you have to put up with? You know what the word endure literally means? It means to suffer pain without giving up. That's endurance. Have you ever been to the gym where somebody's just said, come on, give me five more, give me five more, and everything in your body is screaming. You're in agony. I have, my youngest daughter, is, she does keep fit. It's really insane. She goes to the gym twice every day, morning and evening, every day. 
She is so fit now, it's just embarrassing. It's like she can lift more than me. And, uh, and I said, how do you do it? She said, well, Dad, you have to push through the pain. You have to push through the pain. Uh, how many of you know that's just not great to hear? <laughs> and endurance is that ability. Because you're focused, you push through the pain barrier. And there's all kinds of pain barriers. You know, there's physical pain, but then there's emotional pain. Pushing through the emotional pain barrier, that's never easy. That's never easy, pushing through emotional pain barriers. Because we, 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 we all like to feel good. But how many of you know, sometimes when you have to confront somebody, that doesn't feel great. I have to do that all the time as a pastor. I, I remember being at a pastor's conference, and I said the most difficult thing pastors ever have to do is have the, what I call the awkward conversation. The awkward conversation. And 90% of leadership is an awkward conversation. Yes? But that's a pain barrier. That's an emotional pain. That's a relational pain barrier that you have to go through. You have to endure the cross. The cross is not something you enjoy. It is something you endure. You know, if you are enjoying the cross, you need to see a psychologist. You are a masochist. You're not meant to enjoy it. You're meant to endure it. No discipline for the time being is enjoyable, the Bible says. There's nothing enjoyable about it, but we endure it. We push through. I like what the writer says here in Hebrews. He says, he basically says this, you've not yet resisted to blood. In other words, listen, you're not dead yet. What are you complaining about? <laughs> You're not dead yet. What are you complaining about? Jesus actually died. You're not dead. And, and so when it says look at Jesus, you know, the message version says study Jesus. Look how he did it. He endured the cross. But here's the second thing. He despised the shame. In other words, there was shame associated with the cross because everybody who died on the cross was a criminal. Everybody knew that in the Roman Empire. You were a murderer. You were an extorter. You did something. You were a rebel of some description. Nobody dying on the cross was a good person. There was a shame associated with the cross. You know what Jesus did? He despised the shame. He didn't give it any weight or significance in his life. You know, later on it talks in this passage about don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Let me, let me just say one thing to you this morning. You'll despise one or two things. You'll either despise the chastening or you'll despise the shame. It's your choice. Despise the shame. In other words, don't let the shame associated with something you're going through stop you from going through it. Push through Endure it. Don't let it touch you. Don't put weight on it. You know, I think sometimes in life, you know, with Jesus, the shame was with the cross. The shame wasn't his because he was innocent. But many times we experience shame in our lives because we're actually guilty. We stuff up. We do things that are wrong. But it's the same attitude. Despise the shame. Don't give it weight and significance in your life because Jesus is your sin bearer. He took the shame on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. 
Despise the shame. Don't give it weight. If you give it weight and significance in your life, you know what you'll end up doing? You'll be justifying yourself the whole time. Well, it really wasn't as bad as that. Hey, despise the shame. And say, yeah, it was as bad as that. But I'm not going to let that have weight and significance in my life. The weight and significance I'm going to have is in the cross that releases me and transforms me and gives me new hope and new life because of what Jesus did. Here's the third thing I just want to say. The word despise means this. Contempt, disgust, disdain, to give no value to a thing. Let's not give value to shame. I love that song by Planet Shakers. Shame don't live here no more. It's the worst grammar. (laughs) Every English teacher just, you know, has a little fit when they read that. It's the worst grammar, but it's the best theology. Shame don't live here no more. Come on, friends. We don't have to live under shame. Jesus took our shame. He took our pain. He took our sorrow. He nailed it to the cross so you wouldn't have to live in shame. Last year was probably the worst year of my life. My son's marriage fell apart. He was my worship leader. He was on our team. He had to stand down from everything. Can you imagine that? My son. My only son. It was a painful year in my life. Really painful. You know what, as a church, we had to do some areas of discipline. We had to work through a process. It was extremely painful. Yesterday, my son preached for the first time in about 18 months. He was up there, and here's what he said. He said, when everything is gone, and you feel like you're left with nothing, just remember, the grace of God is still there. I was so proud of him. In our family, personally, we've had lots of tears this year. But because we decided to stay focused, in the year that was my worst year personally, was one of our best years as a church. (laughs) We've expanded into two new localities. Church is getting established there. It's making impact there. We've had the best offerings we've ever had in the history of our church. We've planted with you guys. We've partnered to plant in Rome, in the Philippines. We've sent significant amounts of money into both those localities, just as you guys have. The kingdom of God has been advancing and moving forward. And so sometimes, personally, you're going through something and you say, it could be better. But I'm going to stay focused. Because if I know if I can keep that little yellow square in the right place, I know I'm going to move into a new season that is going to be a season of joy. For the joy that was set before him. I know there's an endurance right now. I'm not happy with it. I'm, I'm not unreal. I would wish it could be different. But you know what? I'm, gonna let, I'm not going to let my personal, emotional uh, challenge right now determine where I go in my future. 
I'm not going to let it alter my direction and my destiny. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to push through pain and I'm going to get to the place God wants me to get to. And when I look back, I know I'm going to be able to say it was worth it. I know I'm going to be able to say, I'm glad I was able to endure and I was able to push through. And you know what? When people looked at me and said, oh, that's your son. Oh, how do you feel about that? Trying to put shame on me. You know what? I despise the shame. I'm not having it. I'm not taking shame. People, people say, oh, what a shame. It was your son. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, there is shame. But it's on the cross. I'm not carrying shame. He's not carrying shame. You know why? Because we, we said we're going to carry grace. And whatever grace does to us right now, whatever grace allows us to do, whatever grace will empower us to do, we're going to surrender and submit and come under the grace of God. We're just going to have a posture. Lord, we're so sorry this has happened, but we're not going to stop being your people. We're not going to stop following you. You know, when Joshua, when they got defeated at Ai, he fell on his face and he was just crying and crying and crying. And God said, what are you doing? You know, well, I'm crying, Lord. I feel bad about this. I'm crying. Get up. Get up. Israel sinned. Deal with it. They got up. They dealt with it. You know what happened next? Then the Gibeonites got attacked. That's the group of people that Joshua made a covenant with that he shouldn't have made. Very naughty boy. And the Gibeonites said, we're being attacked. Come and help us. So Joshua honored the covenant and he went and help the Gibeonites. This is after the defeat of Ai. Do you know what happened? This guy, who had messed up so badly, looked up to heaven and said, son, stand still. How could he do that? You just failed so badly. You, you, you as a nation, you're not doing good. You disobeyed God. How could God honor a man like that? The greatest miracle recorded in the Old Testament. You know why he wasn't living under shame? He dealt with it. He dealt with it. He dealt with it. In that battle, Israel had its greatest territorial gain than any other battle recorded in the Old Testament. You see, out of defeat, God brings victory. Out of your pain, God will bring joy. Out of what the enemy means for evil, God will bring something good that will advance his kingdom and advance his church. Friends, shame doesn't live here. This is not a church under shame. This is not a church going to live in shame. This is a church that is blessed. This is a church that's going to stay focused on a Savior who's big enough for all of us. He's big enough for all of us. Let's just make it our goal. We're going to learn from Jesus. We're going to learn to stay focused. We're going to put aside the weights. We're going to put aside the sin that so easily besets us. Actually, in the context of Hebrews, the besetting sin is unbelief. It's the worst thing that can happen to a believer, living in unbelief. Yeah, God's got a plan for you. Oh, I don't believe it. Hey, you're God, God will restore you. Oh, I don't believe it. Yeah, God, God is going to bring victory out of it. No, I don't believe it. 
come on, we've got to change our dialogue. We've got to change our confession. We've got to start. You know the word confession is made up of two Greek words. Homo logeo. You all know what homo means. You're homosexual. The same as. Homo is the same. Logeo is where we get the Greek word logos, to speak. A confession is to speak the same thing God is saying. That's what a confession is. So when, when God says to you, I love you, you say, I am loved by God. You confess. When God says, I've forgiven you, you confess, I am forgiven by God because of the blood of Jesus. When God says, I've still got a purpose and a plan for you, your confession is, I still have a purpose and a plan because that's what God has said. I might not feel about it. I might feel like everything is going, falling apart right now, but it isn't falling apart. It's just a demonstration from heaven that we need God even more than we originally understood. And the more we lean into the grace of God, the more we posture our heart to say, God, I'm going to stay humble as I walk before you, as I honour you, as I take steps of obedience. You know what? We're going to run and we're going to finish that race. We're going to get to the end and we're going to say it was worth it. We're going to see people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation around the throne of God. I don't know about you, but I've just made a decision in my heart. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. My son has started leading worship again. He started writing songs again. Joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.